0: Here was her message to the students. Have more kids earlier. Just the context of doing this at Yale. I mean, I'm sitting there looking around at the kids, being like, okay, which one of you will be the next Supreme Court justice who's going to be a senator?
1: Sadly, many of them. (laughs)
0: There wasn't this sense of like, oh, we're snowflakes and this is dangerous, unsafe space at all. These kids were like going at it. How do we afford kids in an economic climate? There was a student who got up and talked about the environment and he was like, I might live to 60. I mean, 70 if I'm lucky, if the earth is still here.
1: If the world's still here.
0: Another objection from the the female students was, well, I don't want to have children because I want to prioritize my career. And one of the freshmen got up from the Federalist Party. She got up, though, and she objected to that. She's like, I don't think there's a dichotomy.
2: <sighs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Joined as always by Josh and Erica. We are here today to discuss a little field trip that Erica actually took to Yale. And yes, the bubble may have burst on her coastal elite status, but she does go to Yale, so she has that going for her but uh, you said it was an interesting trip and you had some stories that you'd like to share. So Erica, can you tell us a little bit about that debate you went to at Yale?
0: Yeah, so this was, I i got invited to come to watch the debate at the Yale Political Union and Leah Labresco Sargent, those of you who are familiar with her, she's the author of Arriving at Amen, um, the Building the Benedict Option, great author. Check her out at her Substack, Other Feminisms. But she was debating. Uh, the resolution was, the resolution of the house was, have more kids. And I was most taken with the the resolution. She obviously was in the pro-natalist camp. Um, and so I went to support her. And it was my first time going to a YPU event. Uh, we've lived here for 12 years and we're just outside New Haven. So I was excited. And it was it was actually, I was so pleasantly surprised and taken aback by how the evening played out. So there were multiple political parties who were able to offer rebuttals to Leah. But here was her message to the students. Have more children earlier. And just the context of doing this at Yale, sort of the bastion of the future. I mean, I'm sitting there looking around at the kids being like, "Okay, which one of you will be the next Supreme Court justice? Who's going to be a senator? Who's going to be a president? And there and here's Leah up there on the stage saying, have more children earlier. Right. A lot of them. A lot of them. And her arguments, um, uh, the arguments from the undergrads that came against having children were were pretty predictable. But I want to just go through a little bit of Leah's argument first, because I think it was, it was neat to see someone who's so articulate really uh, try to speak to this elite student crowd. And she did a great job. So shout out, shout out, Leah, for really getting out there. And so her question, her question was, what do we say no to? when we say no to children and she had four things here's when we say no to children. And there was a student who got up and professed herself to be child-free and committed to child-free, very honest of her. So first thing we say no to hope and futurity and that there's nothing beyond ourselves to care for. There's um, that building towards a better world, that building towards something. We say no to need and dependence. And this was a real uh, she got a lot of hisses from the audience on this one, but she's saying when we have a culture that rejects children, uh, it's because we when we don't want to see people who are dependent on us, we won't stop with children, right? And she cited the MAID in Canada, which is the a medical assistance in dying practice in Canada, that we start to see ourselves as a problem as well, because all of us are dependent in some way, so she really lean. I think that was her strongest argument. Just to argument. clarify,
2: unmade it's, it's yeah. government assisted suicide, basically. And yeah, government assisted suicide. Unfortunately, very successful in basically helping uh, poor people commit suicide in Canada.
0: Yeah, and now they're up to like mentally ill teenagers can commit suicide because they don't want to live anymore. Right. Just want um, to clarify so she, that point because I'm not sure that's yeah, suicide. absolutely. So she she tied this sort of anti-natalist, anti-fertility mindset to a direct line to that kind of practice to mate. Um, it's a no to particularity. This one was also really interesting because I think that we talk about this a lot on the show about how our elite classes will say things like, well, you know, you have to do this for the good of humanity. We have to serve the human cause. We, this sort of very universal, vague, like love humanity. But she said that love, it, that when we, we claim to be child-free, Um, we aren't becoming the kind of person who can be a friend to the people right in front of us, who can love the people right in front of us. And nothing does that for the human person, like having a child that here's this person now in your life that you have to love and care for no matter what. And it was really a virtue-based argument. Um, And then finally, I loved her saying no to children is saying no to the idea that the world can exceed our plans and can exceed our control. Which again, for this for this body of students at Yale, these like eighteen to twenty two year olds, it's all undergrads um, to be hearing this when their whole life has been like getting to this point, getting to the next big thing, uh, building the career. Uh, it was just really cool to see her stand up and talk about it. So, so,
2: was this debate structured where it was her basically giving the argument, and then did they have another outside person come in, like adult? Not, not to say that eighteen or twenty-two year olds aren't adults, but like have another person from outside <laughs> come not. and make the opposite argument.
0: Uh, no, so this was actually they bring in the guest speaker, they get a longer speech, and then they have a uh, quick Q and A, and then for and against. So different political parties. The YPU has like the progressive party. They have a conservative party. They have the Federalist Party, which is very loud. And, and vigorously <laughs> excited about everything. And then um, the they have several parties, the Tory party. And so different representatives from each party get up and they either rebut or they affirm the speaker. So it was really neat. Actually, one of the first questions from a student, it was super honest, I thought, um, was just this, how do we afford kids in an economic climate like ours? And that's something that you know people like Elon Musk were throwing around signage like, make more babies uh and and stuff, stuff like uh, our friend Tim Kearney, whose book is coming out um about making a more family friendly economy more family friendly policies uh, that's something that really is worth tackling i think
1: right and one of but see one of the things that Kearney talks about in that book he's got coming out is that the economics are not really alone enough of a driver of this because you know if you look at the years 2010 to 2020, that decade, we saw a lot of economic growth. And there was, it came right after that great recession thing that we had 08, 09. And so the economy took off for a good 10 years and that you didn't see birth rates jump back up. And so it amounts to a cultural difference. Um, you know, and that's why, I mean, again, the person says, well, it's hard to do it. And we can do these things. We can try to make family friendly policies. I agree. I mean, there's a debate about the, you know, expanding the child tax credit. I'm open to some of these ideas, but then again, you look at, you know, birth rates, there's an article that just came out uh, this a few days ago from the financial times talking about how birth rates in the Nordic countries are all falling and they have family friendly policies too. So Family friendly policies alone aren't going to reverse a trend because, as you had pointed out at this debate, you have these students who are like terrified of the future. They maybe bought into this whole idea that the earth is going to, you know, explode or whatever in 10, 15 years because of global warming. And so they're like, the last thing in their mind is generational thinking like, I want to have kids and they have kids. I want to be a grandparent someday. They're, they're wondering if the earth is going to survive. And, of course, I think that whole global warming stuff is a bunch of uh, hooey. But, you know, it's you're fighting a lot more than just economics, in other words. Or they
2: need to afford an electric vehicle, but maybe we'll talk about that later. I don't know. <laughs> we might but- get to that later. E- Erica, Teaser. I have, I have a question for you. So yeah. you said that the 18 to 22-year-olds were making arguments back and forth, which were some, uh, first off, brave of the 18 to 22-year-olds that were making the argument for, because it's so kind of out of favor right now. But out of curiosity, what were some of the arguments from both sides from the kids uh, as to whether or not you should have more kids?
0: Yeah, so it was really this was fascinating. And I I just before I'm going to preface with my my stereotype of the Ivy League bubble was busted a little bit because it was neat to hear. There wasn't this sense of like, oh, we're snowflakes and this is dangerous, unsafe space at all. These kids were like going at it. So at least in this one club at Yale, it was great. Yeah. So some of the the arguments against, again, like I said, predictable, what Josh just said, there was a student who got up and talked about his concern about the environment and that, you know, the climate, everything's he he actually had a line. He was like, I might live to 60. I mean 70 if I'm lucky if the earth is still here. And you're you're just like cream of the crop, you're listening to this kind of despair um underlying the the argument there if the
1: world's still here
0: if the world's still here and a couple of the other students had this sort of zero-sum game argument right that um the same kid told a story about his taxi driver who was like bringing him up to the airport and telling him about when his he was born his brother tells him how there was half as much food there was half as much attention there was half as much how like every additional child that you have means fewer resources. So it's this the zero sum game that the more kids you have, the less you'll have to give each child. And is that really fair to the child you already have? And so it was just so tragic to me because my experience now of having, you know, five, six, seven kids. Yeah, it's harder. You have to tighten the belt a little bit sometimes if you can't increase your income. But at the same time, there is more human love to go around, which is the greatest gift and that sounds so like hippie and like
1: well you
2: had one I of your kids know. in attendance right yeah i was gonna
0: say what <laughs> yeah, was it like right. yeah. showing
1: up as like hi i'm pregnant with my seventh how y'all doing i was
0: so right. pregnant oh my gosh yeah leo was yeah. leo was pregnant, too. Expecting I mean, pregnant as well. too. yeah she gets up on stage it's like oh she's <laughs> actually walking the walk which was really neat to see um again like what a witness she gave not only how brilliant she was and certainly having children um, another objection from the, the female students was, well, I don't want to have children because I want to prioritize my career. And one of the freshmen got up from the Federalist Party. She got up, though, and she objected to that. She's like, I don't think there's a dichotomy. I don't think women, you know, yes, you have to give and take if you're going to have children and be working. And we all experience that. Um, I mean, dads experienced that, too right like the guy the guys do I mean, that Leah's too. like
1: um obviously she's got a career and erica's like <laughs> yeah, hi i'm right. a podcast, hey. so, you know hello yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah so like there are ways it's not like it's not the set way
2: there's such a uh, pernicious uh rhetoric especially from camilla harris she just recently came out and said like Hey, you know we need to have this available in every state because women can't go to college or can't get their careers. Like, since when did that become mutually exclusive? Like, I know plenty of exactly. people that had kids going to college or continuing their education. Like, it's it's strange that we've kind of taken some people have taken that on wholesale to be like they're absolutely mutually exclusive, and then they're missing out on all the joy that comes from a kid. I'm not saying it's
1: easy. Don't want to be punished, with, exactly, right. oh, punished with a baby. Remember what exactly said?
0: Oh, the punished with a baby.
2: Sorry, and then Erica, before you move on, I want to hear more, but uh, it was so funny you brought up the, I won't be able to give enough attention or food or like money towards each kid, which is a really interesting and kind of sad way of looking at it. It's
1: kind of a good thing some ways. Yeah, so
2: that's the thing. I remember reading, I think it was from the Free Press, someone made a really strong argument of like, if you have kids, do not only have one kid because- so many benefits come from kids not thinking that the world revolves around them, operating in an ecosystem, becoming self-dependent. Uh, there's so many advantages from like having a small community within your own family because being an only child uh, is so unlike the rest of your life uh, in reality. It's, it's, uh, it's just a really interesting thing. I actually see it in some ways as a negative to only have one kid or two kids. There's, there's of course, um, give and takes. There's pro and con but I think there's so many pros to having a larger family because they just learn the sociability and uh, pitching in self-dependency, all that. So anyway.
0: Yeah. And I think too, to the point, because like some people will say, well, some families are only able to have one child. Like it's a miracle we even had one. We can't have more. So I don't want to like use this as a, you know, large families are the only way to go. But Leah's point was that, there's our society as a whole is less open to children whether or not you give birth to them biologically or you adopt or you know you're a single person who's pursuing a career she said we have to make room in our lives to intentionally encounter children more oh Um, that's a good point exactly right so like yeah you only have one child but maybe you uh maybe you help run something at church where you have multiple children around you at one and so it's it, it yeah, it's not so much a matter can of...
1: I t- can I tee off on that for a second? Go for it. Because it's like, it's at, you know, it's at Yale University, and it's like all these, you know, men and women aged 18 to 22, and there's no babies around. So obviously there's no sex com- happening on that campus.
0: Leah said the exact thing. She's like, obviously none of you are having sex, because that could lead to children. And they're all, all the students were just like, eh.
1: <laughs> no, but it's also true, though, because... You know, in the 50s and 60s, when large families were not considered something weird, you know, like every time I go to the dentist, the pediatric dentist, she's like, and how do you do it with six kids? It's like, look, I'm not, it's not, it's Jim Gaffigan actually had a good comment on this. It's not like I'm a freak. I mean, I'm not like Amish. Okay. Like everyone did this like six years ago and I'm just still doing it. Like stop acting like I'm the weird one. You guys decided to stop having kids or stopped at one or two. You know, but like wh- what what happens though, is if you, it, most families just have that two or three kids and then what ends up happening is, you know, you have like uh, an uncle and like an aunt and that's about it. And so your access to like young children, like I'm, I remember that, like I grew up and I had an older brother and a younger sister and I never really changed any diapers. I mean, there was no, yeah. and I'll all say my worked. mom's, uh, and my dad's siblings were further away because they'd moved away, so I I never, you know, ha- I was never holding babies that much, you know. I never changed diapers, not. But see, now my kids, you know, I I have six kids now, and my neighbor were good friends with them, and so like they're my kids are always around younger t- uh, toddlers and babies and stuff like that. So it's like it's a little bit more normal, you know. And so it's like my. My oldest is going to go out to college, but she'll have been babysitting kids. And, you know, it's not unusual. So, I mean, you get a little bit more normalcy, I think, in that way. I don't know if this holds up in the Yale debate, but like toddlers are really fun, man.
2: <laughs> like yes. what's better than seeing a toddler fired up on just like red light, green light or
1: something down like a ball? Just the best. Like last night I was just kicking around a ball. Like, this is the best. You know what happens though, Tom? You know what happens? At the end of the night when you want to put, put them to bed. He starts asking big questions to the universe. Yep. And he starts asking for water. And it's like, as one comic <laughs> said, it's like they become dehydrated philosophers. <laughs> Dan, why did God make the sky blue? I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Just go to bed.
2: Yeah, jo- jokes on them. I'll probably engage in that philosophical conversation and they'll probably want me to go to bed is the the joke on them. You'll put them but to Erica, sleep, huh? Are you yeah, exactly? I was curious, uh, for the brave 18 to 22-year-olds that got up and made... Pro-life arguments, pro-baby arguments. What were some of their arguments?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the argument came back to what this. What this one student from the Federalist Party? She was on fire, man. I wish I knew her name, but she's going places. She actually brought up a bunch of statistics about um, the happiness of women who have children versus women who don't have children, and she had a couple of studies that she pointed to that actually. Uh, you know, women self-report higher levels, levels of happiness, uh, later in life. So talking like 45, 55, 65 years old, uh, with, with the more children that they have it tracks. Um, and I, I wasn't sure about whether they were married or not. It was a little bit strange. The study was pretty open-ended because it allowed the, the women taking the, um, the survey to define happiness for themselves. So it was very open-ended, like, are you happy? And women who had chosen to be child free tended to be on the very low end, like under 40 percent of them reported being very happy with their lives. And then on the upper end, uh, women who had had children, um, they reported a much higher. I was it was in the double digits, much higher levels of happiness. So that was actually neat that the students were the, some of the students were seeing that connection and that sort of long term they don't even have frontal lobes yet so it's amazing they were even thinking about being 50 or 60 years old but that shows a little so bit of you know America's maybe this best giftedness best and yeah. brightest yeah there maybe the frontal lobes developed early for her um another another natalism was economic we had an economic argument come up that look we see what's happening uh to broader societies that are have been in the negative They've been losing population, so they point to Japan, uh, the Korea. Oh
1: my gosh, Japan yeah. is like the sad. Well, more walkers than strollers.
0: Yeah. So in the for the last ten years, Japan has sold more adult diapers than infant diapers, and that's not a great pattern Ouch when town. you're talking like workforce. OutTown is right. Stinky, stinky Bill. Not
2: even. I mean, wow. it's fun, It's like we laugh at that, but the amount of uh, Japanese men dying completely alone in a weird like small home is like one of the saddest images i read an article about that there's pictures and i was like i oh, just could not imagine how sad that loneliness would
1: be every kid you have you, your social security taxes should go down so erica and i we have well she's got seven now. it's like ah you don't have to pay any social security taxes anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have
2: contributed You've done you share you <laughs> created right. six and seven like new this, workers Josh. you're good I, I know that it is it's a hard argument. I know that the, this argument comes down to we need to change culture, we need to change hearts. But I do think like in an ideal society, if, if the government's purpose is to promote virtue for the citizens, a virtuous society includes children and a society that continues includes children. So I, I get the culture argument, but it'd be nice to like have everyone come around to that and then be like, all right, now how do we effectively, solve this at a federal level to incentivize children i know hungary has done a lot of stuff with that but um creating a society using the powers leverages of power that is welcoming the children that actually encourages it that helps protect them that helps them grow like these are all the reasons why a lot of people get into politics you know
1: i'm looking forward to tim Kearney's book and then also coming up on just before valentine's day (laughs) Uh, Brad Wilcox has a new book called Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families and Save Civilization. So I'm looking forward to that book, too. Um, there's scholars out there that are trying to tackle this issue, including, obviously, Leah at, at Yale. So that's good.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's an argument to be made for government. I mean, obviously, we want good policy. We want as, as far as it can go, Right. But I think there's a good argument to be made for if a government really wants to promote birth rates, it needs to promote heterosexual marriage, like actual marriage, um, get out of the business of redefining marriage and also support those, uh, you know, those third party, those intermediary institutions, particularly religious institutions like churches, because that's where I think the cultural change can come. Um, There was a really interesting study um, out of the Institute for Family Studies. I'm going to link it, really uh, examining the role of churches and religion in fertility rates. So tracing it back through, we have fertility problem, marriage problem, and connecting that to a religion problem. And they looked at the Soviet Union, where religions and churches were just overnight um, made illegal, annihilated, et cetera. And there's a, a real correlation between massive declines in fertility, increase in divorce, um, and the erasure of religious involvement in couples' lives. That's really and fascinating. And so I think a, a big step could be yeah, well, to the, for the government to actually support the freedom of religion and allow it to flourish.
1: And here's the thing. That, that's what Tim Kearney makes a point in the book, that if you look at the prosperous countries you know, uh, around the world, almost all of them, the more prosperous you get, fertility goes down. The exception, the biggest exception to this rule is Israel. And that's because they still have a very large sense of like that religious uh, response to wanting to have more children. They also have an additional cultural thing, and there's this notion in, in amongst Israeli people to have six, to have six because of the six million that were killed in the Holocaust. So there's like an added like survivalist thing because they're like, we need to maintain this our, you know, our people our tribe, but it's also critical that they have that Old Testament idea that children are an obligation that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to do this. Uh, God looks good, looks well upon it. And here's the funny thing about it. It's not just the religious. It has the cultural effect that secular people have more kids in Israel than they do in other countries. So, you know, that's, that's like,
0: herd mentality. Yeah. yeah.
1: Got to change the culture people.
0: Make more It'd babies. It'd be so
2: hard that that Russia study is interesting to me because I'm just thinking on a personal level how hard it would be to be married mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. have not not be Catholic, not have religious resources. Because it's even hard to think about just like not being Catholic and being married and having kids. Because just what a spiritual resource like my church is, but then also a physical resource because that's somewhere we go every Sunday. It's a consistency in our lives. Like we know people there, like we're we're embedded in the community. I could you just a see tribe. a lot of examples of right, exactly. I could see a lot of people that really lack that tribe, where they have thing, it on Tom, a very
1: service level. Yeah, hit me with it. This is one of those cases where Tim Carney in his new book talks about like, Dude, actually, you love this guy. I do. Hillary, you Clinton love this high. guy so much. <laughs> he says like, Hillary Clinton onto you? something. No, okay. not yet. It's a
0: great book. He, he should said pay
1: He said uh, Hillary Clinton was right in this aspect that it does take a village. She meant it more like government should be more involved in your family's life. But, t- but Tim means it in the sense that your tribe, whether it's, in your case, your parish, you know your extended community, because you I don't think have any, your family's all up in Michigan and you're in Indiana, so you don't have as much of your side of the family, but you have that local community, you have that church uh, network, and that is critical, having those uh, intermediary institutions, those networks you can count on. Um, that is absolutely huge for sustaining family.
2: First off, shout out to the Michigan family. If you guys are listening, my mom definitely is listening. She listens to every episode. But uh, we are doing our part on the pro-natalist argument. We already have, like, we all got married. I have four brothers. Three of us got married in 2020. We have six grandkids. Another one on the way already. So You have six grandkids, Tom? Wow. Woo! No, I don't. My parents do. But yeah. we're crushing it right now. Like, we are crushing the national a- a- average. And honestly, I probably need to catch up. But yeah, we're doing our part. Bunch of little Croatians running around. So uh, <laughs>
0: in I Michigan. could actually
2: probably talk about this is so refreshing to talk about because it doesn't have to do with, you know, church politics or the border.
0: Church scandals. <laughs> but, uh,
2: you know, now we dip back into the border. Uh, so we have a mayorcus impeachment markup. So this is the first time in 150 years that a cabinet secretary has been charged Josh, you were a little giddy over this. It seems like it's done. Uh, what's going on with uh, Mayorkas?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I mean, I find this to be fascinating. I mean, of course, I think ultimately you could impeach President Biden for all of the stuff that we have at the border. You're talking as many as eight to ten million people coming across the border illegally. But at a bare minimum, yes, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is, is an absolute failure, and the 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 committee that in the House is on Homeland Security is put, putting forward the these uh, articles of impeachment, and they're having this hearing talking about all the ways in which Mayorkas has skirted and ignored federal law. And that's the biggest thing, is we have this big debate over whether or not the Senate should have some sort of border deal. This is happening in the same context, and that's why a lot of people are like, well, why would we try to have a deal with the Biden administration when their Homeland Se- Secretary is completely ignoring the border control? concerned to letting people fly in through the border.
0: So my my question is, you know, Marcus's defense as it were is that he has followed the law. He has followed exactly what Biden wants him to do. And which in a sense I can see that argument because it really is the president ultimately like the buck stops with Biden. So why didn't they go for President Biden?
1: No, see the president of the United States is the chief executive officer. He's the one that executes the laws, right? And he has his cabinet secretaries to help help him fulfill his duty because Joe Biden did take swear an oath to the constitution, but so did all of the cabinet members. They, they also took that same oath to enforce the constitution and the laws of the United States. And if you look at it, I mean, they, there's a fact sheet that was put out by, um, this House Committee on Homeland Security. And and makes the point that he has will, this is what they wrote, Secretary America has willfully refused to comply with numerous detention requirements spelled out by the Immigration and Nationalization Act. He has instead implemented a mass catch and release scheme whereby apprehended aliens are released without effective mechanisms to ensure appearances before an immigration court. And they cite like six different uh, statutes here Um in court cases as well. I mean, they are laying it all out here. Um, And and so they, they make the point that he has breached the public trust by violating his oath to well and faithfully discharge the duties of his office and a statutory duty to control and guard the border of the United States. I mean, that is what we have a secretary for Homeland security. After all, he willfully failed to replace the enforcement initiatives that he has abandoned with viable alternatives. And I'd like to remind people, it was three years ago this week that President Biden sa- said, we have no more emergency at the border. He got rid of the emergency declaration. He got rid of Remain in Mexico. He got rid of all of these Trump policies to try to curtail. And Trump had reduced the amount of influx of illegal immigrants, not, not down to zero, but it had been a major reduction. And so three years ago this week, Biden gets rid of all that And this committee is like, okay, so you got rid of those. What have you done in its replacement to try to maintain a a secure border? Nothing. In fact, you're got the border wide open. And so we need accountability here. Uh, He should be impeached. And then the Senate, if they had any honesty, they would remove him from office. But they probably won't.
2: yeah, Josh, uh, (laughs) you sent a tweet to us last night and- I just thought it was so funny about- I was getting fired up. (laughs) It was like an example of the Senate maybe not instilling a ton of confidence in us. Could you tell us a little bit of what's going on in the Senate right now?
1: That was so funny. Well, Politico ran this story and they said, the reporter said, bad vibes in Senate GOP on border deal. The vibes were atrocious. And I sent this, and I was getting kind of hot. And you're like, Pogo, you're like, Wait, what? Isn't this a good thing if this deal falls apart? I'm like, Yeah, right, dude, it's yes, a terrible of course. If the deal is a, a horrible deal, so the deal falls apart, that would be great news for America. Yes, obviously. But you get these people in the in the Senate GOP, and you're just like, Oh my gosh, they drive me up the wall. So obviously, I've railed against James Lankford. He's the senator from Oklahoma, super conservative state. And yeah, people are like, he's pro-life and he's for religious liberty. Great. I I mean, to me, that's like that's like people I remember Chris Rock, like people are like, I take care of my kids. Yeah, you know what you're supposed to. Okay. Like <laughs> why why are we congratulating you for this? Okay. Yeah, great, you're from great Oklahoma. Chris Rock Oklahoma's like one of the most pro-life states <laughs> in the entire union. If the senator from Oklahoma were a pro abortion, I would be like that's like what? table stakes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, like talking about setting the bar low. But he's horrible. Lankford is super pro amnesty. And he's the one pushing the Senate GOP uh, P deal on amnesty and saying, oh, let's just put into law that four or 5,000 illegal immigrants every day. That'll be no problem. It's like, what in the world? And so, what drives me crazy about this is uh, John Cornyn is the senator from Texas. He's, you know, Republican in name only, total wimp. And he said, it certainly doesn't seem a quote but, that this you know, Senate deal is going to pass, you know, and he's all kind of worried about it and bummed about it. And then you have, it's almost unbelievable, Tom, the senator from North Dakota, Kevin Kramer, he was getting so mad that people like, probably people like me, attacking Team Slamford. He's like, Republican senators are throwing him under the bus. I'm like, what in the world? He says, Kevin Kramer writes, this is the senator from North Dakota, the very people who demanded that we have something on the border as part of the supplemental, Suddenly, all these months later, say they don't want something on the border. It's like, oh, my gosh. you It's like you want to go insane. If I had any hair on my bald head, I'd rip it out. Like, yes, we want you to take care of the border. Yes. And he's like, well, we we will take care of the border. We'll have amnesty. It's like, my goodness, brother. That's not what we're talking <laughs> about. It's like the exact opposite. <laughs> you are this monumentally, colossally stupid. Who's on first? Oh, my gosh. Who? Who's at <laughs> hey, the border? <laughs> It drives me crazy. Um, Cor- yeah. So-, so Cornyn says, Cornyn says he's like, you know, in the Senate leadership and he goes, well, there's a number of our members who say, uh, well, I'll join the majority of Republicans, but if it doesn't enjoy that support, then count me out. Well, good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Bye. Go away. So it's, <laughs> we'll count you it's out. Here's like the good point about dead, this right? to remember
1: is a hey, conservative, uh, Talk show host Jesse Kelly said, what happened in the last primary election? Corner won by 80 percent. So unless Republicans hold their own office holders accountable and get rid of these squishes, what do you expect?
0: Nothing will change. Right. Uh, So
2: it's looking that it's it's not going to pass. And then, again, just because it's laughably false, President Biden said he's done everything he can do and he just needs the power. That would come from this bill, even though he's in the most powerful. Yeah, he
0: needs more power. That's a great idea. Yeah, Yeah. let's give Biden more more money and power. That'll
2: solve it. Yeah, so that I can go after more pro-lifers
1: with the FACE Act. Um, Anyway, that will come up later. No, but I agree with Marco Rubio. He's like, you know, why would we negotiate a deal with these with the Biden administration when they're calling on the Supreme Court to, you know, take take down Texas's border wall? Yeah, right. They're not, you know, no goodwill. It's like it's like the Biden administration doesn't actually care about the border. Maybe so they want it let's wide just open. So
2: let's just say path to impeachment, hopefully likely. Uh, Bill passage, not likely. Solution on the border, probably not going to come until Trump comes back. That's going to be my wrap it in a bow. But we have some positive news, which we do like to highlight. So we actually didn't talk about the story at first because I think it might have broken after we did the live episode. And there wasn't a ton of resolution at the time. But Catholic University of America was actually in, in the crosshairs a little bit because they invited uh, a professor from the school, Melissa Goldberg, invited a, quote, abortion doula uh, on the website. It said she was a Reiki master. She wanted people to talk in gender neutral language, said how men can give birth like seahorses. She said all this to the students at Catholic University. This is a guest lecture uh, at a Catholic institution, a reputable uh, Catholic institution, so, uh, we were kind of like stunned at first, and unfortunately, we've kind of become accustomed to there not really being consequences for stuff like this when there should be. Uh, but fortunately, it looks like CUA has actually done the right thing and fired the professor. So,
1: uh, Erica, you want to get into a little Time bit for some hot takes from uh, the alumna?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm just. I you just got come uh, on. What's going on? Here? I'll make it short. I'll make it short. I'll make it short. But yeah, it seems that Catholic University of America, I am an alum, School of Philosophy. Woo, 2003. Oh, I just dated myself. That's okay. (laughs) I'm proud of it. Okay. So CUA, they actually did the right thing here, which was what I'm imagining happened from my experience in higher academia is this professor who's actually a lecturer, uh, Dr. Melissa Goldberg, um, who I did some digging on and I cannot find a single item that she ever Yeah. Like it was weird. There's very scrubbed all over the place. So if anyone has anything she's ever written, but she invited this abortion doula, the students in the class, big shout out to the students who some of them recorded the actual presentation on their phones, the audio, Um, they went to the press, they, they let people know that this had happened. The university really seems to have been caught completely off guard. This was not vetted either by the chair of the department or by anyone higher up. And it was a very clear violation of Catholic University standards for speakers and guests. Um, So what I'm guessing happened is they called in Melissa Goldberg. Uh, She probably dug her heels in a little bit. There was no like, oh, I didn't understand. or Oh, oh, that's against Catholic teaching. Um, So they were just like, you know, this isn't working. Bye. But seahorses. But it was really uh yeah, it's for the school to go ahead and just make the strong stand. Kudos. I'm proud to be a cardinal. The, oh, that's their mascot? I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's the cardinals. Okay, the cardinals. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. Catholics, well, Cardinals. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: So it represents the yeah. all the different yeah, dioceses. They're, they're in making the up States. they're
0: they're making up for uh, <laughs> exactly. And it's actually the only school in the United States that the bishops are the, the uh, caretakers or whatever you want to call it of. They're making up for the honorary degree that they gave to Cardinal Theodore oh. McCarrick at my graduation. Oh, at your graduation? It was, yeah, it was the year oh, I graduated. I was gosh. on stage for the president's thing, and he came up on stage. I shook his hand. It was before it all went down, obviously. But yeah, so they're they're coming back from the brink. I, I did shake his hand because did, was he was he a cardinal at the time? Yeah, I had not. Yeah, did you kiss his ring? Yep, yeah. cardinal. Uh, I did not. That sort of behavior was highly discouraged uh, among the people on the stage. Yeah. So I wasn't. I wasn't a trad at that point. I'm, I'm not a trad so now. but I, I would kiss. I the found ring of a out article. a while back because I,
2: I remember <laughs> we were talking about the Edmund Burke article uh, when he had his uh, living quarters removed by the Pope. Uh, I found out I actually uh, have kissed his ring. I've met Cardinal Burke.
0: Cardinal yeah. Burke, yeah. I've kissed his my ring mo- too. He's the only cardinal I've ever yeah, kissed. Yeah, my the mom said that. Yeah.
2: I um cool. back when I was an altar Server, uh we had like a dinner or no, it was a brunch, I think. He came in and it was like a big deal. He was like saying mass and I think he was we were doing a symposium, I think, and they had the altar servers have breakfast with him. I remember him being a cool guy. Like now that she brought it up, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember he was super cool, like having conversations with us and stuff. And I forgot that I had actually met him and my mom's like, You know you've met him before, like you were and I was like, Oh yeah, that's kinda cool. So talk about a tale of two different <laughs> cardinals
0: meaning cardinal Whoa, the tale and... of two cardinals Yikes, man, that is. <laughs> and then there's the cua cardinal so shout out to my alma mater thanks for being strong <laughs>
2: for real um but that erica that's a little i we don't have to talk about this too long but uh because i know cua people and they're great they're great people mm-hmm. there for the right reasons and faithful catholics but there's been a little bit of a turnaround, it seems like, with CUA, like in a good direction. Oh, totally.
0: Yeah, I was saying to Josh, <laughs> like, yeah, like if this this would not have happened, I probably when I was there, you know, 25 years ago, definitely not 45 years ago during the whole Humanae Vitae blow up. Um, but yeah, there has been a lot of reform at CUA, thanks to some great presidents they've had, really good faculty. Um, School of philosophy has always been really solid. And I tell parents to, you know... My feeling is, and this was my feeling when I went there as well, that the student body is what you would call a microcosm of the church in America. So you're going to find, you know, 10 percent of the student body, really hardcore, traditional, like, um, you know, going going all uh, scripture, tradition, magisterium. And then you've got a good chunk of the student body, you know, lightly catechized. They kind of go there for different reasons. Um, And then you've got some libs who are father james martin aficionados and they're there too so you the you know the catholic catholic churches here comes everybody catholic university here comes everybody but it seems like the leadership is definitely headed in the right direction that's awesome
2: good to hear you can avoid all this by going to university of mary because uh, we did in, indeed <laughs> receive their merchandise and are now great supporters uh you will catch me wearing they, they sent us some sweet polos uh me and josh my twin one of these episodes but i just like to give a special shout out to our University of Mary listeners. We love you guys. You guys are the best. That saga has been closed up. Sorry we were a little distracted by Christmas. But anyway, uh, really good to hear from CUA. And uh, I do know a lot of good CUA people, so I'm glad that we got some clarity. So, uh, Erica, I've been looking forward to this this entire episode. So, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but in the description for the episodes, we've moved up Talk to Tom. It is loopcast at CatholicVote.org. And boy, <laughs> did people like to email in after we made that change. I've gotten a lot of emails. And uh, we got a lot after the Trump episode, which I'm sure was probably, you know, foreseen. But we got one that I found really interesting. And I actually genuinely really do appreciate when people challenge our ideas, because I think it just really gives us a good opportunity to maybe like flesh out arguments that we didn't have time to fully flesh out. In an hour episode, maybe something we threw out that people may didn't understand. So if you if you've been listening, you know Erica's kind of been beating the uh I don't like electric vehicles drum. Uh I see a lot of her concerns. I maybe not as I don't have an, as strong a stance. I think I'm gonna withhold my thoughts on electric vehicles for the sake of this. But someone reached out with a very detailed, well uh written uh critique of Erica's stance on electric vehicles, and I want to give Erica a chance to maybe round out some of her thoughts, why she thinks the things that she does, so that you can get some <laughs> This was a, a point of contention. I think the uh, title of the email was EV Misinformation, so we need to clear up some misinformation uh, for her name is Sue. So shout out to Sue for emailing in. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. Uh, Hi, Tom. I don't usually reach out to podcasts, but a topic that has come up a few times in the past has come up again on the latest episode. I can no longer sit by and listen to y'all, maybe unintentionally, spread misinformation about EVs, electric vehicles. I'm guessing you don't believe in climate change, which Josh has really made clear. Uh, and I am not here to convince you of it since there is nothing I can say that thousands of scientists, studies, and data points have already not already said. I do believe that deep down a lot of Republicans in government know that it is real and unwilling to admit it. And that is disappointing since the environment, environmental protection used to be a bipartisan issue, but I'm here to talk about EVs. Erica mentioned that they don't work in the cold and are unreliable. I believe there is a lot of inappropriate conclusions being drawn from what happened recently in Chicago. It is true that EVs charge slowly in the cold, but it is also true that no EV driver ever recommends buying an EV if you do not have a way to charge it at home or work. Relying on public DC fast charging infrastructure for daily driving is not the proper use case. People need to be better educated before buying an EV uh, because, as with any new technology, there is a learning curve involved in going electric. What happened happened because people who are not ready for an EV in their life bought one anyway, in large part because people are excited about and like EVs. Also, given the right infrastructure, EVs are still practical and pretty cold in Norway, and yet somehow they manage. Now, that to you, she's basically talking about... um, the EV infrastructure not being set up the way that it should be and how uh, we also subsidize the fossil fuel industry. uh, And she cited some studies here. Uh, If it is okay for the government to spend money on this, I think you would be hard pressed to come up with a reason why the government shouldn't spend money on the grid upgrades and changing infrastructure. So the first argument's on infrastructure. Uh, Now let's say you think environmental reasons are stupid Uh, EVs still emit less toxic gas and other nasty chemicals than gas powered cars where people live. City smog and pollution are caused in large part by gas powered vehicles. So the next argument's based on fumes and environmental impact. Uh, sorry, this is a long email. So I'm trying to paraphrase another important point. Important point is while EVs charged on a coal power energy grid are not as clean as they could be. That analysis negates the fact that the grid is getting greener and greener as time goes on. We have been refining gasoline for hundred years and using it in cars. Uh, for a long time, we are approaching the highest efficiencies possible with these technologies and they're nowhere near as efficient as EVs. So she's making an efficiency argument. And then she said, oh, and Erica said that Tesla's cost $200,000 for a base model vehicle. That, that is so laughably off. I can't believe I have to respond to it, but I will anyways. She said the uh, most popular model, the Model Y of Tesla starts in the mid 30,000 range with tax incentive. Um, Erica would like to speak to that, I'm sure. And then she said, here's a good EPA article. That explains a lot of EV myths. Uh, overall, I don't understand the emotional and knee-jerk re- negative reaction to EVs. Why are people so afraid of them? Have any of you driven them before or tried living one for a few days? Uh, y'all used a lot of straw man arguments against EVs and said a lot of things that just aren't true. I believe that's a huge disservice to your audience. And I hope you take the time to think about what I've said and maybe correct the record on the next episode. Here we are, Erica.
0: Sue, we're, here. we're here. Erica,
2: if you'd like to respond to some of these yeah. arguments, I would love to hear what you have to say.
0: Absolutely. So first of all, yes, Sue, I anytime we have misinformation or whatever, we definitely want to clarify that. I would like to address the two hundred thousand dollar. I was referring specifically and I said this to the luxury model. So this is the the new Tesla Roadster. It's coming out at two hundred thousand. Yes. And I did go and look up what would sort of the low end models be in my area here in Connecticut. They're gonna start around forty two K. So that would be the why model. So yes, in fact, and I'm glad that you wanted, I yes, thank you for for having me clarify that. We got that. Okay, a couple of things. Do I think climate change is stupid? <laughs> um, environmental concerns. So, you know, I, I do think that climate alarmism is stupid and dangerous, and here's why. Because climate alarmism, saying things to students like the Yale student we were talking about, like the world is going to end in 20, we have 10 years until everything runs out. I think uh, AOC's prediction that we had 10 years before the world comes to an end if we don't stop climate change is now uh, three years old. So we've got seven years to go. So, but if you go back and you look, that climate alarmism is used as an excuse to curtail people's civil rights. And for the takeover of industries that actually harm the poor and the middle class, first and foremost. So, you know, climate change, how we affect our environment around us, I don't think people should be throwing plastic bottles out of their car windows and just, you know, acting irresponsibly. But This idea that uh, the the climate change apocalypse is coming and the way to fix it is to force these unrealistic timelines on the rollout of electric vehicles, on getting rid of gas stoves, on, you know, this is the light bulb you're allowed to use to to light your home. Um, I think that is stupid and dangerous. So I want to make a distinction there between the idea that humans have an impact on the earth. And the idea that it is so bad that we need to rip all these freedoms and civil liberties away from people and force this timeline on them. So that's my first point. Uh, to address the Norway issue, which is the why if Teslas are so bad in the cold, why are people up north driving them? Um, yes, in in the Slavic or uh, Scandinavian countries, the EV sales are outperforming. Um, I did look into this a little bit. <clears throat> And, yeah, they've developed ways of coping with cold weather that maybe American drivers in Chicago and New York and Boston and, oh, here in my personal experience, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, haven't learned yet. These include things like, so I was like, oh, well, what have they figured out that we haven't? Well, you need to park it in a garage. You need to park it indoors, which this is not something that is within the reach of every American You need to precondition the battery, heating the car for several hours while it's charging, keeping it in the garage. Um, But also to point out, I looked up these stats because I was like, well, I wonder how much people in Norway are driving compared to Americans or since the rollout of electric vehicles. And it turns out that since 2017, Norway's passenger vehicle traffic has dropped by 10%, almost 10%. And that wasn't just the COVID dip. That also has continued at a pace since the COVID lockdowns were lifted. And I was looking at the Norway government steps. So the they have also simply stopped driving as much. I mean, that's almost 10%. That's a big dip in the amount of driving that's going on. And and it is a complete lifestyle change that if they've done it freely, great up in Norway. But again, I don't think this is something that The progressive administration, the Biden administration should be forcing on people that you have to change your life like this. Um, Going to the coal-powered energy grid, how EVs, do they really have a positive effect on the environment? Yeah, the EPA sources are going to tell you absolutely, because who runs the EPA? The, The Biden administration, the fourth branch of government, they want you to buy EVs and go all in and say, yes, please tell me how to run my life which again, for upper middle class and upper class Americans is perhaps a doable thing. Um, but as the coal-powered energy grid is still burning away, gas-powered cars have also improved, right? So I was looking this up as well. Since 1970, new cars, SUVs, and pickup trucks are 99% cleaner for common pollutants that Sue listed like hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide, etc. And our cities are reporting uh, clean air at rates over 90% compared to the 1970s. So can we have a positive and rapid effect on the quality of our air uh, without forcing EVs on Americans? Yes, absolutely. It's been proved over the last 50 years. So I think there are better ways to do it. My biggest issue with EVs is not EVs in themselves. Look, if private companies want to go and pursue this technology and improve it and make it usable and affordable for more Americans, go for it. Buy an EV. My biggest issue is that the government should not be setting standards for the way we live our lives. And automobiles are a big part of that, that reward the rich with tax subsidies and kickbacks. That is a rewarding the rich and hurt the poor. You can't buy a gas power car. I
1: actually don't even have a problem with tax credits, for example, for electric cars, because the argument would go we've subsidized through the last, you know, 800 years pretty much a gasoline driven car, you know, economy. And, I, and and so it's when Sue says, "Hey, we can have why not have tax credits for, you know, EVs to kind of counterbalance that to begin this transition." I actually I'm fine with that. I think that's a great idea. Here's my problem. You have nine states that are trying to ban the sale of car gas powered cars. That's why when she writes, I don't understand the emotional and knee-jerk negative reaction to EVs. Why are you so afraid of them? I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid of bureaucrats in states like California, uh, Minnesota, even Virginia. Uh, I think in Connecticut even as well. Like there's like is is California actually, by 2030? Yeah, I mean, I so California's got massively strict guidelines on emissions and all these. 17 states have followed California's regulations, but, um, there's a total of nine states that are planning to prohibit the sale of gas powered vehicles. And so literally you would, your only option is you you will like, well, I like EVs, but you know, I kind of want a gas powered car. Sorry that we can no longer sell new gas powered cars. So what are your options then? If you live in California, like after 20 in 2035 or whatever, what are your options? Like, and it was like smog, LA. LA is a unique sc- scenario based on its geography, the mountains on all three sides. I sort of get it, but like, not everyone in California lives in Los Angeles. I mean, like, if you live in Sacramento or something like that, like, what? what? I can't drive a gas powered car. You'll, it'll be illegal to buy a new car that operates on gas, but you can still buy a used car. Or you can drive to Nevada, is what you'll do, and buy a car there and bring it back to California, which will still be legal. So and pay the everyone tax. will plan their right. trip to Vegas and buy cars. Car dealerships in Vegas are going do great.
0: <laughs> Little insider trading there. Invest.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I want to say California is banning them by 2030 the sale of uh, gas gas powered cars. Um, that's only six years guys Like yeah. six
0: years right
2: right and and it was, it was funny like so first off Sue like thank you for writing this in this was actually like really I couldn't even read it all because it was so detailed but um, I think that that's a fair question because we only get times to kind of slide in a few things about maybe our distaste about the current situation of EVs um, I think if I could summarize not a problem with EVs in particular it's more the government the fear mongering and then the government bureaucracy telling people what they can and can't do, uh, because if EVs, I would like to see EVs be good enough on their own merit uh, that people would want to buy them rather than this artificial merit. And I'm, again, Josh, tax credits not not a problem to me, but my problem, which was funny, is like, oh, you used a lot of straw man arguments. Uh, the the argument of my car did not get me to where I needed to go is a personal cold testimony. Not a straw man <laughs> argument. That's the most practical personal testimony argument of all time like you know like if, if they can't get that done right now then we shouldn't have it being illegal to buy alternatives that have gotten us there for the past i don't know since the model t was invented like um so
1: like the incandescent light bulb worked for 100 years and they just instead of using tax credits incentives to get switch us over to the better bulbs they just ban them like really do you have to do that I just don't. I hate that government operates that way.
2: Yeah, it's like crony capitalism. It's like not, it's not in reality like a, a true market alternative based on its own merits. It's just like, well, the government's going to ban it. And you know that lobbyists are getting big kickbacks and all of this stuff. So, um, yeah, tough. But, you know, hopefully, Sue, if you're listening you're t- in your Tesla, you thought this was a good rebuttal. Uh, Erica went did her homework. And uh, hopefully, we're, we've all learned a little bit something at the end of it. Uh, we move now into the Twilight Zone. Uh, I think we have Josh. It looks like you're up first, Josh.
1: Is there a way to play a video?
3: Oh, there's good news. There's, there's more good news for Biden. The economy is cooking right along. The Dow's north of thirty-eight thousand today. Wages are up. Unemployment below four percent for thir- twenty-three months in a row. And today, the Commerce Department announced the economy grew at three point three percent rate in the last quarter. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a little technical, but according to macroeconomic theory, number go up equal good. (laughs) Now, is that right? Can you check my math? Can you check me me on that? You you, you got got that? Okay. For all last year, a bunch of people were predicting a recession, but instead, every economic indicator of Bidenomics is positive, or as the news people call it,
0: It's an economy that is cooling on the inflation front, but still showing growth on the the spending front. The Goldilocks.
3: Perfect Goldilocks scenario. We're getting some of that Goldilocks. It is Goldilocks.
0: This is Goldilocks.
3: That's right, Jack. Things are going Goldilocks. Now, look up. Look here. I'm serious, folks. I knew Goldilocks. Nice gal. Real particular. Real particular about her porridge. not me, though. Hot, cold, don't bother me. I'll toss that bowl down. Tooth sweet, soft foods, doctor's orders. (laughs) The old mouth shiklets aren't aren't what they used to be. But, (laughs) lost lost the words there a little bit. Can't, Can't win them every time. But even though it looks like there's no recession and the economy looks good on paper, people feel like it's not bouncing back. And this bad feeling the media has dubbed the vibe session. And I get it, but thankfully, I have a foolproof way to bring the nation out of a vibe session. This is
4: Stephen Colbert's Vibe Session. What's cooking, my fiscal cats? You out there counting your ducats? Let me brighten your economic outlook with my bongo sonic output. Hit it! (laughs) <laughs> Dig! You're drowning in dough, but you don't feel it because it's not yet bread. <laughs> I'm talking that sweet pumpkin nickel, baby. Because I heard from a little bird that in 2023 the U.S. economy accelerated at a 2.5% annualized pace. And coal prices for personalized consumption expenditures rose just 2% in the fourth quarter. No wonder Janet's yelling. So no need to go slow, Joe. The vibe session will be jazz-suscitated. And if the economy starts this cooking in November... We'll make Trump away gone daddy.
1: So, nice little clip there from uh, Stephen Colbert. Uh, he's supposedly a comedian. So, if you understand, if you just think for a moment here, the way Democrats are, right? They just assume for the longest time, Trump, he'd be easy to defeat. We could totally smash him if he tried running again. And they're laughing at this prospect. But then over the course of the last two, three months, Poll numbers have shown Bi- uh, Biden's numbers slipping and Trump actually surpassing uh, Biden. Trump having a significant lead in a lot of these states, uh, like Michigan, uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Bro. all this place. And so now Democrats are <clears throat> kind of freaking out like, oh my gosh, all this inflation, all this bad economy. Americans maybe are, are thinking twice about having elected Biden. Maybe they want Trump again. Don't worry. Here's the stenographer for the elites, Stephen Colbert, doing his little number here, telling the audience, hey, the economy's going up. It's doing good. And he and his attempt at humor, number go up equals good. And the audience laughs, you know. Like a bunch of seals barking, holding up now the laugh the signs. Yeah. Laugh. What does this remind us of? Stephen Miller is the guy at Fox News. He says, "Who uh, late night TV has become group therapy for liberals. And this ca- this is totally it. This clip rose it, dude.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember I mean, when course. they did the Vax I mean, dance? Obvious. Like Stephen
2: Colbert had the Vax. <laughs> I was going to bring up like people were. I just grabbed a screenshot of that and was like. Yo, people are shocked that this guy would be putting up bad takes on or be a stenographer for the regime and uh it was him with the vaccine <laughs> dancers behind the him. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh that's what late yeah, night TV is sold it's not about humor out anymore. So
0: disappointed in him. Yeah. Biden's been
2: getting ruthlessly uh what do you call it, community noted on Twitter. Just ruthlessly. Yeah, I love community
0: notes for these every yeah, time. Great.
2: I think the recent one he got dinged on was uh, the wage gap, I think it was the wage gap or, oh yeah, inflation is coming down. It's now lower in America than any other major economy in the world. And the cost of essential items, including gas, are coming down too. And then like immediate community note, like they said all the percentages of all the other countries <laughs> and like we're way higher. Anyone
1: who's gone to a grocery store knows these guys. And to say that
0: the rate of inflation- right oh i know like exactly i, I know the was the last time stephen colbert went to a grocery store i mean he makes what millions of dollars a year for this to yeah. stand up and shill and like just to say that like the rate of inflation is coming down this just means it's not getting unaffordable as fast anymore yeah but it's still tanking people i mean man i just look at our family budget for the last three years and unbelievable
2: yeah unbelievable remember there was a time this was like kind of mind-blowing to me not to date myself but there was a time where a budget was actually at it's a circle
1: anomaly right? It, right yeah you had the dot-com boom you had
2: no <laughs> uh-huh. it's i didn't before. think that ever I mean, happened
1: any jackson several other presidents have had it but don't worry yeah right
2: oh yeah he was no, like I mean, just yesterday like... right I mean, I'm talking modern history. Andrew Jackson, bro. It was
1: like the politicians in D.C. are like, what is going on? We got to fix this. So they took care of it right away. Trust me. So that won't happen again. Yeah.
2: I remember there was a, this might have been Andrew Jackson or it was Calhoun, I think. He basically made a a bill so bad that he's like, oh, this is for sure going to get shot down. And then it ended up going through and just causing a huge problem. I think it basically led up to the Civil War. Um, but anyway, those are kind of uh, past problems, so not exactly modern issues we deal with. Yeah, because that's right. <laughs> yeah, you get man, to I do could- it. <laughs> I get to do it every once in a while. Uh, Erica, <laughs> well, actually, well, right. I- I'll go. I'll go because I think yours is going to be more substantial. Uh, mine is unfortunately not as substantial. That's part of the problem. Uh, the government is now telling you that you're having too much protein. So, uh, nutritional experts, Vox, and the federal government. Uh, Put out this. Americans are obsessed with protein. They eat about as too much as much of it, two x as much of it as the federal government advises. And sixty percent of U.S. adults are trying to get even more of it into their diets. Excessive protein consumption could be making us sick. It's also wrecking the planet. How much protein should you actually eat per day? Find out immediately. Community noted as well. Like, there's no studies saying (laughs) that excessive (laughs) protein makes you sick. Um, But why is the government coming from our gains? And then that came that that came to mind as well. Like, I'm just trying to make some gains here. I'm trying to put on some some muscle. But uh someone went and screenshotted the uh pyramid, the food pyramid Dude, from are you the kidding 70s. Me? Yes, of course. Do you remember what us. the federal government we advised the average American to eat? Worst they advice ever. I could get on the warhorse about this. The bottom of the now pyramid, which down. is what you're supposed to eat the most of, literal pictures of white bread. It was like white bread all kinds of grains, corn, and then they demonize fat. Fat was at the top of the pyramid with basically, uh, and it wasn't even like good fats either. It was like bad fats, but they basically demonize fat. So what did everyone do? Demonize meat, demonize fat, and they're like, just have all the carbs as possible. This is in the seventies. If you don't believe me, we should put up the food pyramid is wild. It's like completely against all information that anyone would give today in nutrition.
0: I grew and up so, with it, man. I believe you. Yeah. Yes.
2: Because was on the back started, of like, every cereal, cereal box. Like, listen, I've grown up in the era of like the carnivore diet and Andrew Huberman, so I never struggled with that. But it's because all of us Americans got super fat
1: listening to this food pyramid stuff.
2: That's the thing. So the federal—it's go- funny they put in the federal government advises like the federal government is literally responsible for getting half the country addicted to opioids that they knew were addicted, and then they also got America fat. So the way that they did it was they demonized fat. And what did every food company do? They started with the processed food food started increasing, but they're like, oh, if you take fat out of something, it makes it taste terrible. What are we going to do? Well, ironically, the US government was also subsidizing corn. So they were basically paying farmers to make corn in America. And we had so much excess corn because they were trying to compete with international sources. And so we have all this corn. They're like, well, what do we do? They invented high fructose corn syrup, which is like literal poison to your body. And they're like, let's make it taste better. We're going to put it in everything. It's so much worse than sugar. So not only were they giving people bad nutritional advice, they also subsidized high fructose corn syrup, which then got people even more fat. And so now America has an ob- obesity problem in large part because of bad government advice. And then the da- I think to me, the dawn of the internet and kind of independent sources, uh, just we had this information economy now that before in the seventies, you pretty much had to listen to the government or maybe your doctor, you can go online and search like what, you know, what crazy diets going on. Exactly. And so now you get like these independent sources being like, Oh, maybe fat isn't such a bad thing. Maybe it's actually really good and satiates. You, and maybe the protein is really necessary and you should be having more of it. So now exactly. We get a lot more, we get more better, better advice because we're not at the whim of whatever lobbyists from big food companies are lobbying the government to like get Coca-Cola, you know, The craziest thing I read, I took a nutrition class in college, and it was about how Coca-Cola subsidized a study on whether or not pop is bad for you. Do you have any guesses on how that (laughs) came back? There's some objective science happening.
1: a day.
2: They said it wasn't bad for you. And truly, if I could give anyone nutrition advice, and I know maybe someone's sipping on a nice Coke right now will listen to this. If you wanted to lose weight, the very first thing I would say to do is just completely cut out all pop from your diet. I mean, it's They can fit so much more high fructose corn syrup and sugar into liquid because it's liquefied than eating like a donut or solid food or whatever. So if people are just drinking that every day, it's like basically impossible to lose weight. So, um, but yeah, uh, the government, uh, I'm going to pass on what Fox and federal recommendations have to say about eating protein. I'm about to go make some more gains and just become humongous on this podcast. So, uh, Erica, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> He'll be like the Steve Rogers of California. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be, be big time. Like, at the end of Little Tom, big Tom, because he ate the meat. Well,
1: just to tack on real quick, I abandoned all that advice that the government had and dropped 60 pounds. So, there you go.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's Woo. seriously such a huge
0: accomplishment. You could totally see it. I also dropped... I dropped all of the advice from the left, which told me not to have more than 1.6 children. And I gained 60 pounds. So well, but I'm planning to lose it. So it's all good. All right. So here, <laughs> here we go. Uh, mine is much more sobering. So this was some really disturbing news coming out of Nashville. Um, six pro-lifers were found guilty this week um, after they were charged by the Biden DOJ Um, with the FACE Act, and that was a civil rights conspiracy. So they got slammed with these two charges for a peaceful protest that happened outside of a Tennessee abortion facility um, back in 2021. Uh, So the six, the Tennessee six, as they're being called, are facing 11 years in prison and fines between $260,000 and $350,000 each. Sentencing will be in July, on July 2nd. So please pray for them. And again, we, we've talked about the FACE Act a little bit with uh, Mark Houck, who was exonerated of charges brought against him. Um, But it's clearly a a case of this two-tier justice system where the FACE Act was, you know, is supposed to cover blockage of not only abortion facilities, but also, you know, attacks on pro-life centers or the obstruction of churches, right, places of worship and, um, there's a, there's a movement in Congress now to overturn the FACE Act led by Chip Roy. Go, Chip Roy. Um, and at the time when he was arguing that back in October, the Biden administration had charged 126 pro-lifers under the FACE Act and four, four people for violence against pregnancy care centers. Uh, and as anyone knows here has been following Catholic Vote, we've been tracking vandalism against pro-life centers and churches uh, since the Dobbs leak really since uh, George Floyd for the churches, but we're talking hundreds and hundreds of attacks that have not been taken to court. But then we get these, you know, you go watch the video of the protest. It was actually live streamed back in 2021 when they were doing it. They kind of knew this would happen, Um, but it was live streamed. I mean, these people are sitting in a hall in an office building outside of the abortion clinic. They're talking to women who are going in. They're singing hymns like, Holy God, and very peaceful so for them to be right now facing 11 years away from their families and just crippling payments to the federal government it's um it's pretty shocking it's very disappointing uh thomas more society has vowed to fight back they're going to appeal um, the decision this was a clinton appointee uh judge alita trauger in nashville came down with this ruling that they were guilty Um, so pray for them pray for thomas more and pray, too, for the key witness, the key witness in the case, um, a woman named Caroline Davis. She's only 25 years old. Most of those convicted are much older. They're, uh, they have grown children, et cetera. But Caroline Davis is a 25-year-old who was part of the protest, and she actually flipped on them. She pleaded guilty back in the fall, and uh, she, she basically made a deal that she would testify against her fellow pro-life protesters Um, and she said during that, her testimony was heart rendering, heart rending too. Um, she said that my rational side was in the toilet at the time I chose to participate in this protest. I've changed my mind. It was wrong. But then she said, being indicted by the federal government terrified me. And for that's in the testimony. And so it's like almost obvious that she was strong armed into this, but you know, she caved. So pray for her. That's gotta be tough. Um, Pray for those who were convicted uh, that we can overturn this ruling. So sobering note to end on, but this was pretty pretty devastating ruling
2: coming out of Tennessee. Again, it's like these people don't these people don't care, but like you can, Maybe, you can I know. literally it's like what do you say have an insurrection on behalf of Palestine in the US Capitol and none of these charges come your way, but if you sit in the lobby of an abortion facility and pray. You could go to jail for eleven years. Who could possibly look at this and say that this is a fair justice system, a blind justice system?
0: Yeah, the judge said that they were conspiring to prevent rights from being exercised. They were singing yeah. hymns in
2: the lobby. There was they're they're the least violent group of people of all time. Welcome to Christianity, I guess. But this is just so unbelievably wrong. I don't.
1: I agree. Though it's really sad that this him. person
2: flipped. Yeah, shout out to it. Also, I think Mark Hawk set the standard, which I really appreciate that he did. Of like, yeah, I'm not going to take your deal. Like, it's a deal with the devil, and I'm going to set the standard. If I go to jail, I go to jail. But what I was doing was was not wrong, and I'll take the bullet if I have to. Hopefully, because there's going to be more of these that come along until we get a real change in the in the just Department of Justice. Mayor Garland, Catholic. Joe Biden, Catholic. No, I mean, uh-huh. these
1: people are like. Merrick Garland is not Catholic. Oh yeah, I always think he no, is. No, not
2: Merrick Garland. I don't know why. Yeah, he's, he has takes issue with pro-lifers peacefully singing. You know, lobby, I guess. Um, yeah, pray for them. That's a really tough rolling. Um Hopefully, the the Beckett. I mean, the, those guys are really up to the task. Thomas More Society doing a good Moore. job. At Thomas Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Moore is great. Um, yeah, so bring note there. But <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. If you did too, leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, you can like this, uh, subscribe on YouTube. Appreciate it. We do get together live at noon Eastern every Monday, do a little recap of what happened over the weekend. And uh, yeah, really appreciate all of you guys listening. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Please pray for us uh, that we can do this well and serve you guys the best of our ability. Uh, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Peace.